You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. Here are your hosts, Jay Fennell and Paul Wilkinson. Hello again, group leaders. Welcome to another podcast of the Life Group Leaders Podcast at Brentwood Baptist Church. I'm Jay, and I'm here with Paul, and I'm glad to be back. Yeah, Jay has returned. I've returned. Uh, I don't even remember what I, I was spring break last week. That's right. So I you a were time off, off in West Tennessee feeding ostriches. That's right. I was. I was. I was on safari in Tennessee, of all places. Who would have thought that? But uh, anyway, I'm glad to be back and excited for another week of unpacking with you. Uh, the chapter 12 of Transforming Truths curriculum, we're coming down to the very end, and just a few more weeks remaining, actually, yeah, just a few yeah. more weeks yeah. remaining here, and this week we're going to be talking about missions, the theology of missions, but before we do that, let's jump into just a few reminders for you. Engage Middle Tennessee is this weekend, this Saturday, April the 8th, and we're excited about uh, engage, and we know it's going to be a fantastic day of service around our community. Uh, if you've yet to register, if you've yet to figure out what it is that you want to do, uh, what your life group wants to do, uh, it's not too late. Call me, uh, contact me or Vicki Howell for information uh, about Engage Middle Tennessee and some things that are happening on the Brentwood campus that day and around our community. It's going to be a tremendous day and Hope that you'll want to be a part of that um, on Saturday, April 8th. Uh, Easter reminders. Uh, again, Luke and I covered some of this last week, but uh, try to invite a guest if you can. Uh, if, you're, if you're not going to invite a guest, since there's no life groups that day, you're not bound to a particular hour. So we encourage you to come to the 7 a.m. service uh, if at all possible. And then uh, park off campus. I think the um, off-campus satellite parking is just on the east side of Concord Road exit coming off of 65. So that's where Jay and I will be picked up by shuttles, and they'll run all day at regular intervals. So it shouldn't be a problem actually getting into the building from there. Yeah, so come and ride with uh, with Paul and I. It'd be n- nice. We'll have the party bus. That's right. <laughs> party <laughs> It'd bus. It'd be great. Um, but that would be a great uh, a great help. It really would if you'd be willing to, uh, to do that uh, on Easter Sunday, which is April the 16th. But, you know, beginning the next week, uh, new curriculum rolls out for our Life Groups ministry uh, on all campuses. And it's entitled Living Scent. We talked about it to this point. You've received some information via emails and some through Roger Severino. But um, it's going to be a great study. Jason Dukes, our own Jason Dukes, is, uh, wrote it. And so uh, it's really an evangelistic, kind of an outreach-oriented curriculum that I think will challenge our people well, it'll be it'll go along with the sermon series beginning on that Sunday, April the twenty third. So, you definitely want to uh, be thinking about that. We'll have the books in the classrooms on Palm Sunday, April the ninth, which will be just in a few weeks. So we'll have those ready for you to hand out to your people, and then they'll be also distributed church wide to our people on April the twenty third. But I also wanted to share along with that the. Roundtables. We did that for the Transforming Truths curriculum on Wednesday nights. We met in uh, Wilson Hall, but I think we're going to meet in 
Where are we going to meet, Paul? Have you made that determination yet? Not yet. It'll be in Wilson Hall again or maybe 2062 on the far end of the building, Connection Cafe side of the building. Okay, so these roundtables are a time for us to come together, talk about the chapters, talk about how we're going to teach it, um, bounce some ideas off one another, and um, and, and just really have a time of, of, of fellowship and networking and those sorts of things. So, yeah, it'd be and, good. Yeah, and the dream is not a ton of lecture from me and Jay to the leaders. It's a chance for leaders to get together and say, here's how my group's going, here's how we're doing it, here's some things we're doing well. Here's some teaching that's been effective and just iron sharpening iron to know we're all on mission together and uh, we're all wrestling for the same kingdom goals. That's right. So that'll begin on April the 19th, which will be just that, that Wednesday before the 23rd, obviously. And we'll do it every Wednesday night until people get tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, so, all right. So those are our announcements today that I want to let you know about. Um, please be mindful of those. Let's jump into some uh, lesson talk, Paul. And uh, we this week, the focal passage comes from the book of Acts, Acts 1, uh, verses 1 through 8. And Paul's just going to talk a little bit, little bit about, uh, about that and about Luke, the author, uh, and a little context surrounding uh, this particular book. Yeah, so uh, Luke, Acts, written by the same guy to... Someone named Theophilus, uh, Theos, Phileo, so you get God lover is what Theophilus means. So some have speculated that it may have just been generally to the early believing community as God lover. So anyone who loves God, this text is for you about the revelation of Messiah. I tend towards Theophilus as being a particular person because of, well, one, because of the two part series, uh, the way Luke is so explicit about things. It seems to me as if he's just writing to a particular person. Uh, but you get both in various scholarship, but I tend towards the individual. Uh, the reason Lucas thought to have written this is because you get this shift midway through Acts where it's all them, they, when it's talking about Peter, Pentecost, spreading to the uh, Samaritans, Cornelius, and so forth. And all of a sudden you get this shift of uh, pronouns where you start saying we and us. And it's presumably that Luke is now traveling with Paul as they're going around on these missionary journeys. Uh, so Luke, because a lot in large part because of that translation shift, because of the accuracy of the history, because of the Luke Acts uh, connection between the two, is thought to be the same guy. Uh, so the stories he writes about the gospel were likely uh, things he got on interview with people, maybe while Paul was in prison, as Paul seemed to perpetually be in, in prison. Uh, and thankfully the Lord did it so Paul could write his letters, but presumably Luke was wandering around interviewing people, getting data and writing these convincing proofs and stories about who, who Jesus actually was. So he wasn't an original disciple or apostle, but he was one of that first layer apprentice or disciple of an apostle, which gives him the authority to speak on these issues through Paul, through Peter and so forth. So what I want to do is I want to read the the passage here, and then we'll just unpack a few a few things about these verses one through eight, and then have, then answer some questions uh, to, towards the end of our time together today. So I'm going to begin Acts chapter one verses one through eight. Luke writes, "I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given orders." through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by making 
by, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when he had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has sent has said set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So obviously that's a that's a pretty um important passage, uh one to our church at least. You know, over the number of years ago, uh we had a, a five year plan for our church and we called it the X one eight plan. And it's a it was a, a plan uh, that we feel like a vision that the Lord had given us to to be about this particular verse, uh, to be witnesses uh, beginning in Brentwood and then out into all over the world, uh, Brentwood, Tennessee, U.S. and beyond. And, uh, and that's that's so that's been very much a part part of our culture, very much a part of our DNA as a church. So many of you are very familiar uh, with this passage. So as we take a look at it and we kind of unpack just a few things about it, Paul, I'm going to bring you in. As you're looking at some of the um, elements of this passage, what are some things that, that really stick out to you that, that need to be perhaps spoken about, talked about, maybe unpacked some in life groups this week? Oh, I like the term or phrase convincing proofs. As a philosopher and apologetics background is how I was trained uh, my initial thought was that these were arguments for God's existence, and there's lots of them uh, throughout history and in modern times. Uh, for instance, Kalam Cosmological is a very famous one right now. The moral argument for God's existence is very famous right now. Uh, one guy who doesn't even believe you need arguments for God's existence once gave, once gave a lecture at Notre Dame, this is Alvin Plantinga, gave a lecture, two dozen or so proofs for God's existence. And he spent his life saying you don't even need arguments, and he lays out 36 of them just for the fun of it. So these things are all over the place, and they're exciting to think through and talk about. Uh, so my initial thought was just to go down and say, hey, what are some of the big ones? What are some of the important ones that are influential in our culture? But the more I thought about what might Luke have in mind as a convincing proof, and what does Paul point to as convincing proofs, and what does Peter point to as convincing proofs? And it seems to me that it's two things in particular. One, they point to Jesus' resurrection, his bodily, physical resurrection. And they point to their changed lives and the way they live now with the power of God. And of course, they had accompanying signs, uh, more miraculous signs. I haven't been given that gift, but I hear stories, Southern Hemisphere, Underground China, where they have more miraculous gifts. But I think our miraculous gift is our salvation in itself, at least. Uh, maybe the Lord has blessed some with with more exciting gifts than than that, uh, at least experientially. But I think our gift is just the fact that we have been saved and regenerate, and now our lives have new meaning. And this was struck home to me in a profound way by Dr. William Lane Craig. This guy has PhDs in philosophy and theology from European universities. Uh, he trained at Wheaton as, as an undergrad. Just brilliant, often considered the best Christian apologist we have of practicing today. His site is reasonablefaith.org, and he has a question of the week. 
And on question of the week 78, he gets a question about Christian testimony, whether it's convincing. Somebody writes in and says, you know, normally when I share my testimony, people uh, don't accept it and uh, they're, they're a little bit offended by me doing it. And Craig responds, I'll, I'll read some of it to you. He responds about when he was in China giving lectures and debates uh, that he got one night alone with the students, he and a couple of the other Christians there. And their primary question wasn't arguments for God's existence or anything else. It was, how do you become a Christian? And that just paved the way for Craig to share his short testimony. Um, here's who I was as a, as a young man or teenager for him. Um, I came to understand who Christ was. And then here's how my life is different. So here's who I was. Here's how Christ changed me, how I actually did it. And here's who I am now. And so this is the letter he gets from one of those people that was a part of that Chinese um, trip that accepted him there. Greetings from Shanghai. We met last year when you are when you were here speaking at the university. Some amazing stories happened here after the symposium last year. We were able to follow up on some of the interested students from the lecturers. Several people who went to your final lecture came to faith afterwards, and that was the lecture where he shared his faith at the end, just short testimony. I hope God will use you and your fellows in a great way to empower his work here in China. And then so Craig, in his Sunday school class that he teaches almost every week when he's in town, he says that time after time, it's not all the philosophical arguments or the um, scholarship that gets people. It's his simple three to five minute testimony about how Christ changed him and his purpose and meaning in the world now. And that's a great power that we have. So uh, these convincing proofs there, I think is significant to demonstrate to our members that you yourself in the way you live, the way you treat people in your life, the way you live with meaning and purpose, because you have a God who anchors all of that. That is our convincing proof. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Holy Spirit backing it the entire time. And so, you know, one of the things you may want to think about as a leader for this particular week is to ask your group members about their own personal story with Christ. And three questions kind of come to mind. What was your life like before you knew Jesus? How is it that you came to put faith in Jesus? And what has your life been, has looked like after you put your faith in Jesus? Kind of that before, that pivotal kind of justifying moment, and then that life after. And there might be, you know, it might be a great exercise to to have to do in your group this week. Maybe pass out some index cards and ask them to to write down a a few notes about each one of those questions and maybe even share. Uh, be willing to share a few minutes, but it's a great opportunity to really know what your salvation story is and to yeah. and to practice being a witness. And Peter right. says in first Peter first Peter three fifteen, he says, always be ready to make a defense for the hope that you have in you. And so we apologists uh, refer to that and say, oh look, apologetics has value in the church. I think Peter's clearly saying the hope you have in you is the promise of eternal life and immortality through the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And look at the way I'm enduring this suffering Hmm. um, uh, from these outside forces. That's mainly what Peter has his focus on. So we had, sorry to jump down to verse eight already, but when the Holy Spirit has come on you, you're going to be the witnesses. And all of us as believers have the Holy Spirit on us. So we are in fact witnesses. And sometimes Hmm. it seems like maybe our story isn't as exciting as it ought to be. Or maybe I can't answer this intellectual question or that, but I just think of the 
the guy in the Gospel of John who was blind, and they were just grilling him and grilling him and grilling him. And he said, look, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I can see. And that is a powerful witness. And all of us have that because we were all redeemed um, from our sin. and We were given new purpose and new newness of life. Every testimony is powerful. There, yeah. I know there have been some testimonies where you listen to them and you're just like, wow, that's just amazing. I mean, he got saved out of drug addiction and, you know, and, and, and awful lifestyles. And then all of a sudden this supernatural moment, like a, this Damascus Road experience moment where they just get, mm-hmm. you know, zapped. And then all of a sudden they get, they experience Christ and hear a voice. You know, those are few and far between, honestly. Those things happen and those are wonderful, but their testimony isn't any more powerful than, than ours might be if we say, you know what, I grew up in church, I was in Sunday school all my life, I came to the point in my life where I knew I needed Jesus, I knew I needed Him to forgive me of my sin, I realized that I was a sinner and I needed a Savior. And at that moment, I became a believer and I put my faith and trust in Christ for the salvation of my sin. And since my life has, has since then, my, I do know I've got joy. I have peace. Life isn't easy. I've had moments where it's been difficult, but yet through it all, God has been with me, and I know that He is my Savior and Lord and my friend. That's testimony that speaks to people in powerful and profound ways. Because they want that. They want that kind of purpose, that authentic meaning, that kind of hope. So that might be something you want to think about, just uh, maybe even sharing your testimony or having them share theirs um, using those three questions that I gave to you. Uh, and you may even find that some in there may not even really have a testimony. You might be surprised. There might be some people in your group that, have, that they cannot answer those questions well. So, all right, so as we keep going, um, take a look at verse 4. Uh, Luke, Luke writes, he says, While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. It's pretty significant, don't you think, Paul? Yeah, that word wait struck me. Because uh, we know Acts, we know all the exciting stuff that happens in Acts, but it opens with waiting. Mm. <laughs> that's weird. I mean, you know all that's going to happen with Cornelius, with the Samaritans. People want to deify Paul and, and Barnabas as, as they're doing their miraculous deals where people are getting healed, walking through Peter's shadow and so forth. But it all starts with waiting. And that just it really struck me hard. And I wondered, what's waiting look like for us 2017 Brentwood Baptist Church. Um, if we haven't felt called to live sent, as our next curriculum series is going to talk about in your where you live, work, and play, then what do we do while we're waiting? And in it, uh, what came to my mind most clearly, I think, is this preparation time uh, that we are nurturing the spiritual disciplines. Uh, we're reading our Bible regularly. We're fellowshipping regularly. We have a robust prayer life. Maybe fasting. Um, is an important one. It has been for me lately, uh, but silent solitude, whatever the discipline is, uh, that we are preparing ourselves for what God might be calling us to at some point. And what you'll find is as you're preparing yourself that way, the calling becomes more discernible as you go about. Yeah, because God has given us a, a work to do. It may not be clear to us in the moment, but um, through our preparation through the work that we do uh, as we continue to grow through our sanctification process, those those specific callings become even more clear to us as we become even more sensitive to God's Spirit speaking and showing us and directing our work. 
So um, it's not that we wait and sit and do nothing. It's yeah. that we actively wait, right? Right. It's an right. active waiting with expectation, knowing that God has something for me to do. But in the meantime, I'm going to be ready for whatever that is. Yeah. I think about sports people, athletes, I guess we could call them if we're normal, not sports people. Uh, I think about athletes. I think about the military, how hard they train so that when you get into the midst of battle, it's just intuition. It's just gut feelings at that point Mm -hmm. because your, your body and your mind are so trained that this is normal for you. The danger is now normal for you. Getting hit is now normal for you. And this is, I think, something we can do in our life groups uh, week by week in the local church with missions as the ultimate objective is that we get the mind so focused on God and the body so directed toward God that when we get out there and Satan's on the attack, it's just natural to punch back with our story, uh, punch back with our testimony, with the gospel, uh, with with whatever other spiritual arsenal we got. And so when I think of preparation, that, that's what I'm thinking about. So as we move down just a little bit, uh, let's let's take a look quickly at verse seven. And, and again, we're just kind of hitting some high points, and these might not even be the high points that you even want to highlight uh, in in your group time as you teach. But these are some things that for Paul and I really stuck out. So verse seven, um, he says, um, Luke is recording the words of Jesus, and he says, "It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set." By his own authority. And then he goes on to say, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's an interesting thing. What? How does that speak, Paul, to the universalism, so to speak? Well, that's not a good word to, to maybe <laughs> Depends describe. on context. Depends on the context. <laughs> but just how the importance of the gospel message and how timeless it is and how our work doesn't hasn't necessarily changed for God's witnesses from 2,000 years ago to today. Yeah, and I would say even from Israel's initial calling as representative, distinct from all the other nations and called out by God. So by, by don't focus on the times, I think it's a perspective challenge on us. What are we concerned about? We're concerned about the eternal state of the unchurched and the unbelieving community. And so whether we think that Jesus may return tomorrow, whether we think... Uh, government is bad or good in any situation, whether we think our life is up or down or any situation. We're not called to worry about those things. We're called to be witnesses. And in all of that, we can be witnesses. Uh, Paul from prison as witness. I don't know what Paul thought concerning the return of Christ. You get some debate either way. But whatever he thought, his message was clear. Live the life now. Make Christ known. Live pure for the day that he returns. And as we are living pure, as we are living righteously, we will start sharing our story with those where we live, work, and play. Hmm. Yeah, the the same commission, the same mission of the disciples years ago in a completely different culture, different time, uh, is the same commission, the same mission that we have today as, as disciples, as believers in the 21st century in American culture. Uh, so it's times and periods don't matter. What matters is the gospel. And what yeah. matters is our, our, um, calling to be a witness where we live, work, and play. To be a witness in our own neighborhood, in our own family, in our community, in our city, in our state, and to the ends of the earth. And yeah. that's, that's, our calling is no different from the calling that Jesus put on the disciples. Uh, thousands of years ago. And I like your language there. Your calling is to be witness 
your calling is not to get conversions. Mm. Uh, your calling is not to be liked per se. Your call is to be a witness. However, that looks for you, uh, being faithful to the moment. And that, all that goes into the waiting and preparation time. All that goes into the, you having your testimony, you having your testimony time. Um, all of that is, is a part of, uh, being a witness in that moment. And if you're faithful to that moment and you witness to the truth of Christ in your life, then that's a win. That's a success. And the Lord will bear fruit. That's right. There's other things we can talk about here. There's a whole thing we can talk about, about restoring the kingdom and what the kingdom of God looks like. And is that, is that yet to be determined or not yet to be determined, but yet to be fulfilled? Or is there some kingdom things that are happening right now? Uh, that we could participate in? Are we building God's kingdom right here and now? Yeah, what does it look like to live in an inaugurated kingdom? An inaugurated kingdom. And there's a lot of things we can talk about there. Um, but, uh, you know, this is a great, great lesson, a great opportunity for us to really help our people understand their calling to be missionaries. We're all missionaries if we belong to Jesus. And, um, and so, you know, the calling is on us, and so help our people to understand that they too are are to be that. So um, it's a good good lesson. I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes, and um, and uh, hope to hear great things that come as a result a result of it. Any last words, Paul? Yeah, I just refer you. We talked about the church a couple of weeks ago uh, that we are might have been Christian living. Whenever we did Ephesians four, we talked about preparing the saints for the work of ministry. And that's what we're doing. As we're preparing people to be witnesses, uh, that, that's a big part of being ministry. That's good. Well, we're looking forward to hearing how it goes, and we appreciate you and, and are grateful for all the work that you do. And we will see you next week. Hope you have a great week.